So let's get into our text here tonight. <clears throat> I actually want to start uh, not by just diving into verse 43, but I want to do a little bit of a recap of what we looked at last week uh, because these things really do flow together. I promise that I won't teach last message, last week's message again, but uh, just just take a, you know what, five ten minutes here or so just to kind of recap that, and then we'll flow into tonight's text starting in verse forty three, and uh, you know hopefully it will uh, flow well and and just be a blessed time in the word. So uh, there in your notes you'll you'll see the main text, and then right underneath it is what we la- looked at last week in thirty six through forty two. Uh, let's read that together, and then I just want to highlight uh, a few things from, from each of these verses or thoughts that are laid down here in our text from last week. So in verse 36 it says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah are, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. So again, verse 36, he talks about no one knowing the day, no one knowing the hour. And we talked about this actually the last few weeks of the fact that at the literal second coming of the Lord at the end of the tribulation or Daniel's 70th week, if you take the middle of the tribulation, which we talked about in great detail in weeks past where the abomination of desolation takes place, uh, talked about there in Daniel chapter 9 and in many other places in the scripture, we know that's at the midway point of Daniel's 70th week or those last seven years of this dispensation, this time here on earth. And we literally see uh, in some passages, several of them telling us that there'll be three and a half years after that. Uh, One place telling us specifically 1,260 days after that until the literal second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were basing their years on that time on the lunar calendar. So you do the math, it literally comes out to 1,260 days. So listen, with that in mind, we look at this, and granted, right now, we don't know that day or hour of the literal coming of the second coming of Christ, where we will be with them. We read in Revelation 19, the armies of heaven will come back with them, clothed in white and on horses. And so we've talked a lot about that. We'll be with them. And uh, right now, we don't know that literal day, but come the uh, middle of the tribulation, and perhaps even from the start of it, though it may be hard to gauge when that seven-year period actually starts. But definitely in the middle, we're going to be able to know, or those here on earth, whoever that is, are going to be able to know that literal time. So listen, this seems to be talking uh, about the coming of Christ for his church, the rapture of the church. And then we read through this description here, which we'll recap, and it will lead into what we're looking at tonight. This seems to be really talking about us not knowing the time when the Lord's going to come for his church, when he's going to rapture us. And the Bible speaks much about the rapture of the church. In fact, again, we saw last week that the days leading up to the coming of the Lord will be like the days of Noah, and like the Lord rescued Noah and then brought wrath here upon the earth, 
it says that it will be compared to that. And last week we spent a lot of time talking about the days of Noah. I think it's very fascinating in the scripture. Uh, There's so much to consider there. Uh, We talked about the fact that there was obviously tons of demonic and occult activity because of the angels that were being tempted and coming down and taking upon uh, women as, as wives, and we talked about the intent of that to try to destroy the seed of woman or the promise of the coming Messiah. And then we talked about how even after the flood, that started up again, and the Lord separated Israel from himself to be able to have a people to bring forth the Messiah of the world. And the Bible says in the last days, again, it will be like that time. Now, I personally don't believe that that interaction is happening today like it did back then, but definitely the demonic and the occult is just on an all-time high. And I uh, touched on this a little bit Sunday that, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. And I always preface it with, listen, we all believe 100% Black Lives Matter. All lives matter, amen? They absolutely do. But that actual group that is weaponizing language, it's founded by three women that are professing Marxists. But more than that, they practice witchcraft. They're very clear. This isn't something hidden off in some corner. And it grieves my heart when you got Christians, you know what, uh, upholding that group or whatever. But we see how that is translated to the streets in our country. I think 48 of the 50 biggest uh, 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 communities or cities in America have had not just protests, which again, a peaceful protest. We do have a right to do that, but these riots and it's happened in many smaller communities too and listen all of us have seen the footage of those sayings they come off as very demonic it looks like an occult it looks like something out of a batman comic in gotham city i mean it's just off the chart and on top of that it seems like it's predominantly been hijacked by uh you know what white youth that grew up without spankings from their parents and correction i'll just that's my opinion there that that's just what I see going on there. And uh, that sounds like a pretty hearty amen. But you just see it. And, and there's all kinds of things like that going on where there's just this, this gross uh, interaction. And we talked about the, a lot of the, the, the people in high places and spirit cooking and just all of this rank, you know, disgusting human trafficking and pedophilia. And, uh, you know, the whole Pizzagate thing. That, that's some weird stuff that just kind of got swept under the carpet that was documented really as as just vile wickedness with an attempt the attempt behind those things is trying to open up portals with the occult the occult to empower those places uh those people in high places and listen there's nothing new underneath the sun this is the same thing the canaanites were using the amalekites these old testament groups that israel was called to go in and to destroy because of Again, for them, uh, the, the mixing with, with angels that were falling, but also their effort to try to cut off the promise of Messiah. And we touched last week on how the enemy today is still trying to destroy Israel. We know all Israel will be saved. And as an effort to try to do that, to try to prove God a liar, the enemy of our soul thinking that he can have victory in that. But listen, God's promises are yes and amen. We also saw about the days of Noah that their thoughts were continually on evil. And God was not in their thoughts. And boy, they didn't even have the internet back then, right? They didn't even have Netflix back then. You know, I'll I'll touch on that here in a second. Most of you guys probably know what's going on with that. 
wickedness was great, violence was great, and then there were great men of renown, which were, you know, the product of these angels uh, taking upon women giantesses in the land. And listen, it's very descriptive of many of these giants in the scripture, of their height and stature and so forth. So uh, this, this isn't some stretch or misrepresenting the text. We saw in Jude that it talks about angels that left their natural abode to engage in gross sexual immorality. Now Sodom and Gomorrah followed in their footstep. But they were men of renown and men that were worshipped really. And boy, listen, we're living in this celebrity culture where there are individuals that are so thrusted on a pedestal and have so much influence and so forth. It's really quite disgusting. And it's really setting the world up for the man of lawlessness, the son of perdition, the Antichrist coming on the scene because there's so many individuals that instead of humbling their heart and turning to God, instead they're looking to man to try to find their answer. And there are so many people, they want government to be their God. And they want to try to even cleanse our culture of Christ and Christianity and the Word of God. And you know what? Things like the Ten Commandments and, and prayer and school and so forth. And that's been going on for quite some time. So listen, in those ways, we very much match the days of Noah. He also, and we also talked about how, and, it, and Jesus says here, that day came upon them unexpectedly. That it was business as usual. You start reading about the tribulation, there's anything but business as usual during the time of the great tribulation that you can read about in great detail in the book of Revelation. In fact, it says there at the beginning of the tribulation, when those four horsemen are loosed, that people will work all day to be able to have enough money to purchase a loaf of bread. We're here in the days of Noah. They were eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage. We'll read here in a second. In Luke's gospel, the Lord also compared it to the days of Lot, where it even goes into more description about uh, really a, 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 an economy chugging along. Things just kind of continuing on. People living their life. And then suddenly, this destruction coming upon them. The wrath of God coming in the form, again, of fire and brimstone there on Sodom and Gomorrah with a flood there in the days of Noah, and Noah being delivered out of that as the wrath of God gets poured out. And I'll tell you, I've been quite, it's been quite interesting to me with so much of our economy that was shut down and so forth, how, you know, and, and, and I know there's a lot of underlying things, and I know this is like a bubble that can burst at any time, but at the same time, there's been an incredible uh, amount of, of of rebounding and so forth and uh there's a lot of folks that when it comes to prophecy they have the viewpoint that that babylonian system that's talked about in revelation it, it it it's it's so descriptive of the merchants of the earth making so much wealth really on a system that's that at, at that point especially is about worshiping things versus the giver of things there's a lot of folks that believe things will chug along to, uh, you know, until, until the Lord comes for his church. And so it's just an interesting thought there and so forth. But listen, in Luke's gospel, again, the Lord also said that day will be like the days of Lot. And you can read about that in Genesis 19, but he said there in Luke 17, 28, likewise as also it was in the days of Lot. Notice here, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they built. But on that day, 
that Lot went out of Sodom and rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be uh, when the Son of Man is revealed. And last week, we read a little bit about, uh, out of Genesis 19 about the days of Lot. I remember those angels came in to tell Lot that he needed to leave the city. And it says the men of Sodom, uh, both young and old, and in fact, all the people from all the quarters came out and demanded Lot to bring those men out so that they could know them carnally. And I won't get any more descriptive than that because, um, you know, it's not necessary and, and it would be wrong. But the main thing I want to point out in is how that culture was so saturated in sexual immorality. There wasn't anyone protesting. There wasn't a quarter of the city that would say, no, no, we're against this. But it's something that had become fully embraced it was something that again across the board it seems for the most part outside of lot who it says his soul was vexed or troubled day in and day out by their activities and so forth that it just had become the norm and we look around our culture and these things unfortunately and sadly are becoming the norm i mean we we remember just not that long ago when our state was uh you know what uh brought to uh, what was it prop uh proposition eight and our state voted that marriage between a man and a woman praise god that was a glorious thing i remember us rallying about that and praying and me going on long rants about it and so forth as you guys have heard some of those in the last six months and we had prop eight signs up on our property and we got some flack for that i ain't taking that down we're putting that up out here and it, it, it fully passed and then just a few years later Again, a judge, one man overturns that. Boy, you talk about a judgment that's awaiting somebody. And then the next thing you know, again, the people aren't asked, but judges in high places go and they say, this is the new law. That's not holy matrimony, and those marriages are not honored by God whatsoever. Those are not legitimate marriages at all. But you see more and more now that mindset even seeping into a lot of christianum and people just say well you know that's the that's the way that it is and so forth you see these things becoming more and more normal and now we're really seeing as well this push for i even hate saying the word but pedophilia to become normal and last week we touched on how the california legislature uh voted to lower the the penalties of individuals molesting minors and you look at that law and and i don't want to i don't even even like reading the description of it because it's just so foul but you look at that and you think how in the world can anybody vote that in and say that's a good thing and i don't want to get overly political but if you go and you look everyone that voted yes had a d by them and everyone that voted no had an r by them those are just the facts um and then our dictator, this over the weekend, uh, that's Newsom, that's uh, so my name for him, he signed it in the law. That's outrageous. And again, listen, I don't want to get overly political, but I am going to get a little political because there's this great movement of Christian progressives, they call themselves, and they say abortion is now a secondary issue. Abortion is not a big deal. We put social justice above abortion. Therefore, we are proud Christian progressives. I think that's rank and foul and shows a lack of fear of God, 
A lot of these people are very bold on Facebook, on social media, and so forth. And yet I have seen none of them express any outrage with any of this stuff. So you're just going along with the dictator now. I mean, it's just really disgusting. And most of you guys know about Netflix and this, I guess it's European film that was made called Cuties. And I, I guess it just is a great, you know, it greatly exploits young girls. I mean, young girls and sexualizes them. Praise God, Netflix has not lo- already lost $9 billion since they put that out. And... Uh, you know, we canceled ours, and I know many people who have as well, and I would really encourage you. We have freedom in the Lord, absolutely, but let's use our freedom for good. And uh, there's been other programs on that, that uh, uh, platform that, have, that, that really have uh, been along the same lines. But you see this push for it to try to normalize it. All the transgender stuff and, you know, telling four-year-old little Johnny who, who's been brainwashed by someone that he might be a girl, you know, well, he has a right to determine that. This is trying to give rights to children to try to normalize pedophilia. And it's becoming more and more accepted. Some of these schools of higher learning, or, you know, are putting forth that that's an orientation and so forth. I mean, that's supposed to be higher learning? That's supposed to be academia? These are utter fools they're ignoramuses with all the letters capitalized in that word and so we look around today and again the lord said it's going to be like those days and these are things that aren't just isolated to certain nations these are things that seem to be sweeping around the whole world and so forth with with a few exceptions and then notice again what the lord said one will be taken one will be left behind they're about their normal business at the millstone. They're about their normal business working in the field. The word taken there means to be received. The word left behind means to be put away. Noah was taken. Lot was taken. And then that destruction came. It seems like a clear description of, again, the rapture of the church, which once again here in a minute we'll read some text that clearly describes that and shows us that absolutely that is something that's going to unfold. So he says, watch therefore you don't know the hour which your Lord is coming. And we get this exhortation over and over again in this sermon from the Lord. You need to watch. You need to look. We're going to get a big dose of it here in a second when we read the rest of the chapter. In the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation, the Lord three times says, you need to watch. I'm coming quickly. You need to be looking. And it's the emphasis of where we are tonight. We need to be a watchful people. To be watchful, it means to be vigilant. It means to be awake. It means you're not living your life with your head in the sand just about the business of the things that the world is about. Now listen, we gotta be in the world, but we're not to be of the world. We gotta pay bills, we gotta run businesses, we gotta do all these things. But this is a call to put Jesus Christ first in everything that we are doing. To be a people of prayer and praise and worship and of the word at every single turn. And understanding, listen, God blesses blesses us while we are here, but this is not our home. We are sojourners. We're called pilgrims. We're called aliens. We're called tent dwellers here upon the earth. And in fact, in the next chapter, the Lord gives the parable 
uh, of, of the talents, the parable of the ten virgins, which is given to us as a stirring to wake us up, because again, we'll even see tonight that there, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman who is found about the master's business when he returns, who's being watchful, who's being vigilant, who isn't burying their gifts, the call of God upon their life, but instead they're about the business of the Lord. Now again, we don't know the day or the hour, but absolutely we are called to discern the season. And anyone that says, oh, you know, don't be mindful of prophetic things, just put that out of the way. Uh, Rick Warren, that's you know, his take on all of it. That, that's, a, that's a lie coming from the enemy of our soul, 100%. We should be absolutely aware every single day that the Lord is coming for His church. We should understand that our time here is short. We should absolutely be ministering the physical needs, but using that as a platform more so to minister to spiritual needs. For what's a profit of man, again, if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So we need to be awake. We don't know the day or the hour. When people start saying, I know the day or the hour, a red flag should go up. And a few weeks back, we touched on, uh, you know, some of the individuals, you know, the, the book 88 Reasons Why the Lord Will Come Back in 1988. And all 88 reasons were wrong. And then there was another one the next day, next year, and so forth. There was like 89 reasons now, you know. Uh, had a bestseller, might, might as well make some more money off this. But listen, we are to discern the time. And a few weeks back, uh, we looked at Matthew 24, 32, where this is, the Lord said, learn from the parable of the fig tree. And it was, it was him referring to the prior things that he talked about as we kind of looked at that outline of end times events and... He said, when the fig tree buds, you know summer's near, near. And we talked about the fact that the fig tree is one of the last trees to bud in Israel before summer. So that tree will be barren for most of spring, and then when it buds, you know summer is right around the corner. So he said, when you see these things unfolding, when we see those things unfolding in verse 3 through 14, the, the sorrows or the birth pains, you need to know that again, you're on the cusp of these things. And so let's be like, notice First Chronicles 12.32. It says, the sons of Ishashar who had understanding of the times. We want to be like the sons of Ishashar and not, you know, like who the Lord referred to as the hypocrites in Luke 12.56. Where he says, hypocrites, you discern the face of the sky and of the earth. But how is it that you cannot discern the time?" And it's been amazing to me that even in all the things that are unfolding today, I'll run into certain Christians and start talking to them about end time sayings, and they look like a deer in the headlight. They either don't know anything about it, or it's a thing of, I don't want to hear anything about it. You know what, just tell me things that are going to comfort me here on the earth. And not necessarily it being, hey, the Lord's with you to the end of the age, but just tell me it's all going to be okay here. Listen, in Christ... It is going to be all okay because the Lord will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. But we also want to be living in reality and not some Christian fantasy land where we don't think these things are ever going to unfold because absolutely they are. And time here is very short. So we want to be a people with an eternal perspective. Now notice verse 43 says, But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, 
For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then verse 45, he says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food and due season? Blessed. We're all pro-blessing here tonight, right? Can we say amen to that? Blessed. I'm not. I'm a serious Christian. Listen. Part of walking with the Lord, I hate to break it to you, if that's you, is getting blessed by God. Blessed is the servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, that he'll make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards, sounds like the people in the day of Noah that weren't there on the ark, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him, at an hour that he is not aware of, and will cut him in two and point his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, the Lord says here again, if the master of the house or the master of a, of a house knew what hour a thief was going to come in and try to break into his house, he surely would be ready to meet that thief when he came. He would be prepared. Listen, having your home broken into is a traumatic experience. A home invasion is an even more traumatic experience. I've shared before as a young child, the home I lived in was broken into several times. Uh, At one point I was there during a home invasion. And I don't want to get into the details of that tonight, but when it happens when you're about between three and five years old multiple times, it is very traumatic. It does something to your psyche. Now, praise God, He works all things for good for those that love Him and are called according to His purposes. But I throw that out there because some people look at this and they think of like the burglar and the Charlie Chaplin shows, you know, with the mask around, you know, and it's a game and so forth. Listen, thieves come to steal, to kill, and destroy. Real thieves don't game play when they're going to go and break into someone's house while they are in there. That's, just not, that's not called petty theft. That's called, you know, what a home invasion. And we even look at the Word of God. Listen, how many times when these types of things are unfolded, they're not there to steal stuff. They're, they're there to steal people and so forth and bring great damage and so forth. So if you knew, if you knew when those individuals were coming, if you knew that tonight there was a plot and a plan for a thief to come and to break into your house to try to do who knows what to who knows who, boy, can you think of anybody that wouldn't be ready for that? I would hope even the greatest pacifists in the world would at least double up the deadbolts on their doors, at least, you know what, be out of the home or so forth. You would get ready. You would be awake. When I was reading this, I thought about, it was probably about a dozen, maybe 14 years ago, and uh, it was the weekend that uh, they had the last Mardi Gras celebration in San Luis. I don't know if you guys remember that, where it was just like out of control down there, and they had to shut it down after that, because there were so many arrests and violences. Well, the weekend before that happened, um, out on our playground, some individuals had, uh, we, we had a, a, a shed with paint, and they had broken into it, 
and they went, and our playground wasn't like it is now. We had a, some of you guys might remember, some of you guys were here, some of you drove, used to drive by. We had an old boat that we made into like a play structure for the kids, and we had these big tires in the ground and all this stuff. And these individuals got out there, and they so vandalized that playground with some of the most foul things that I can't even come close to repeating about the Lord, about the color of people's skin, uh, about abortion, about witchcraft, satanic stuff. Uh, we called the police, and of course they do it on Saturday night. It's like, welcome to church, kids. And, uh, you know, the police officer said they had never seen anything like it. Uh, the one cop said, man, in 20 years, I have never seen this kind of vandalism to this point with these types of things written on here. And so we tarped it all up and covered it in like, children, you'll be inside today, you know, and so forth. And listen, when that happened, we went on a high alert. I especially went on a high alert. And that next weekend, it was the night that all that happened in San Luis Obispo. I can't remember exactly that was, but some of you guys know that just to give you a timeline and so forth. At the time, we didn't have the glass doors that go into the foyer. We had those old wooden doors. Some of you guys remember those. But we had a little camera so that we could see, and the office was over here. We didn't own the house then and so forth. And I could, we, you could see on a little screen what was going out in front. And it's about 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday, and I was down here praying for the next morning, as, as I do at times. <coughs> and I'm hearing this chatter out there. And I look in, in uh, on that screen, and there's not just four people out there. There's four witches out there. And some of them are fully, like, dressed up. They got witch garb on and everything else. And I'm thinking, I think I just figured out who our, uh, who our vandals are. And so I sneak over to the phone, and because uh, and, and, we were on high alert. And I sneak over to the phone, and I sneak over, walked over there, and I called the police. I'm like, hey, you need to get down here. You guys know about the vandalism there's people out here before. I think they're the individuals that did that. I'm like, you need to stay on the, on the line. Oh, uh, no, sorry. And I hung up and went and slowly unopened the deadbolt there and went back to about the halfway of the foyer and ran like a bull and hit that door. What are you doing out here? Listen, four witches messed their pants that night. I mean, they were so stinking scared. And I thought, you know what? They need to have the fear of God put in them. And I'm going to put it in them right now. And went out there and, you know, three of them immediately began to apologize. I'm so sorry. And I said, listen, there was rank vandalism here last week, and I'd hate for you four to get blamed for it. And then the one who was the leader puffed up her chest and so forth. This is, this is, a public, this is public property. I'm like, I don't know who told you that, but this is private property. And uh, so on and so forth. And actually they end up, they lived, it, they actually came from this house over here. And, uh, you know, the praise is by the time they actually left, they did so much vandalism to that house, we got it for $100,000 under market value and so forth. So I guess that worked for good. And just all that to say is that we were on very high alert. We were looking, we were watching. And praise God, God put me in a position to be able to uh, catch them in the act and some fear of God was absolutely, and the story goes on. There were some actually wonderful ministry opportunities that came out of all of that, which I don't have the time to get into. But my point being is that the Lord is not saying this to paint the picture of a cartoony type experience. Thieves come to wreck stuff. Wicked thieves come to utterly destroy things. And any master worth his salt 
any homeowner, anyone that lives in a cardboard box worth their salt, if they knew it was going to be invaded, they'd be up watching and waiting. He says, you need to look like that. You need to be watching like that. That means things are on the line. That's what he's emphasizing here. He's saying it's not a small matter. In fact, he says, therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not know. And it's where we get the title of our message tonight, like a thief in the night. The Lord says, I'm coming like a thief in the night. And again, if the master of the house knew when the thief was coming, he would be ready. It's not a small matter. The Lord is going to come like that, unannounced. And absolutely, it will absolutely happen. And you need to know this as well. When he comes, absolutely, stuff's going to get stolen. Stuff's going to get wrecked. And there's going to be a lot of bloodshed that comes as a result of it. And you know what the first thing the Lord is going to steal when he comes back like a thief in the night? He's going to steal us out of this earth. He's going to violently, he's going to violently take us away. And individuals say, well, there's no rapture in the Bible. They've never read their Bibles. Notice, and we've looked at this text a lot in our study here on Wednesday nights, but I want to read it again. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But I do not want you to be ignorant. So we don't want to be ignorant here. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with them those who sleep in Jesus. And this is a reference to their physical bodies being again in the earth. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord. So again, Paul said, I, I ain't making this up. This is by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means proceed those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So their bodies will be resurrected from the grave. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. And that word in the Greek means to seize by force. We will be caught up. From the Latin, it's where we get the word rapture. It says, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So this is a clear biblical teaching. Jesus said, I'm going away, but I'm going to come back for you that you'll be where I am. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about us being caught up in the twinkling of an eye. Revelation chapter 4 seems to be a clear description of John being caught up after the letters to the churches. And then he was caught up at the blow of a trumpet. It seems to be a clear picture of the rapture of the church. So listen, he's going to come back like a thief. And the salt of the earth is going to get taken out of the earth. You know where the salt of the earth is followers of Christ? The Bible says we're a city set on a hill. I believe that this is just my thought, that we are the vessel that the Holy Spirit works through to restrain so much evil in the world. Well, you take the body of Christ out of this world. You take, again, the remnant of Christianity that are real Christians. And even to this day, there are many that are part of that remnant. It's just that there's more and more people so... It might look smaller and smaller, but there's believers everywhere that have a real faith in the Lord, that pray, that intercede, that say, listen, no, we're going to oppose that. They say, we're not going there. 
They're going to say, listen, we're not going to roll over. We're going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and the second coming of the Lord. We ain't going anyway. We're standing our ground in Christ. That's going to be taken off this earth. The Lord restrains so many individuals from fully walking in their wickedness. Salt is something that preserves rottenness. It slows down the process. And when all of a sudden that is removed, things are going to unravel like nothing this world has never seen. Now, no doubt they're going to blame us because they'll be following the accuser and so forth. It'll probably be something like, oh, all the horrible people are gone, you know. (laughs) You got to put a spin on it. But we also read, and we'll read this text here in a minute, in 1 Thessalonians 5, that they're going to say peace and safety and then sudden destruction is going to come. Peace and safety is going to be taken from the earth. We also know from reading about the great tribulation, so many will be slain. There will be so much destruction. There's going to be real global warming at that time because it's going to be heated up by God. There's going to be real pandemics at that time, horrific wars, real famines. And it's not to say that, you know what, there's not real pandemics today but listen there's a real coronavirus but it's not a pandemic um and anyone that believes that i feel sorry that you've been brainwashed and uh, it's just not the case whatsoever but I'll, i'm about to go on a rant and i won't do that and uh the people that say why don't you wear a mask it's because i believe in the immune system that god gave me is why and i wash my hands a lot so you know uh that's called biblical Uh, sense and there's instruction in that in the scriptures but anyhow listen there's going to be peace and safety taken there's going to be massive death in that time and listen all who side with the beast at the end of that tribulation along with the beast the bible says they're going to be damned to to hell that's a serious matter would you not say but here's the thing the lord's saying that it It's going to take them like a thief, but that shouldn't be the case for us. We should be watchful. We should be awake. That day shouldn't overtake us. It shouldn't be a thing where, you know, the Lord comes for his church and we're like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I haven't had time to serve the Lord. I've been putting that off. I haven't time time to get real serious about the Lord. I've been putting that off. I I haven't evangelized my sons-in-law. Think about Lot. Remember when he told his sons-in-law what was going to happen and they laughed at him oh good one pop that's funny wait a minute i haven't had time for that those are things that should be priorities to us right now shouldn't take us like a thief could happen in a day and an hour we don't know but we should understand the times but we should be striving to have our affairs in order again we're saved by grace through faith we're not saved by our works And praise God, if you're saved and you have faith in the Lord, He's taking you no matter what. But we want to be found about His business. That day shouldn't take us like a thief. The Lord says to watch every day, to be looking. This could be the day the Lord comes. Listen, that's something that should affect the way that we're living, should it not? People say, oh, you're talking about the rapture. You're just thinking about heaven. What about the things going on today? You want to make a real impact today? understand what your future is in the lord first thessalonians 5 1 through 11 it says but concerning the times and seasons brethren you have no need that i should write to you 
For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Notice, for when they, and there's a separation between they and you, when they say peace and safety, and sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness, so that they should overtake you as a thief. You're all sons of light and sons of the day. Listen, the verbiage there, it means the daughters of the light and daughters of the day too. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So he says, let's wake up and soldier up. For God did not appoint us to wrath. Go read about the tribulation. How many times you say, the day of wrath has come upon us during the process of the unfolding of those seven years. He has appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. So, if, if, if we're here, we walk with Him. If we pass, the Spirit goes to be with them. The body goes to the earth, and then it will be resurrected. And then He says, therefore, comfort each, each other and edify one another just, all, just as you are doing. So notice verse 45. He says, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Notice here, blessed is that servant whom his master when he comes, we'll find so doing. We're servants of the Lord. We're saved by grace through faith. But notice 10, we're his workmanship of Ephesians 2. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're servants of the Lord. Imagine, and this will be a big stretch of the imagination of most of us here. But imagine we have a household full of servants, you know, and a butler and so forth, Jeeves or whatever we want to call them. And you're like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going out and I'm going to come home, you know, sometime in the next week. And these are hired servants getting paid and so forth. And you come back, you know, at a few days earlier than they expect you to come back. And you show up and they're having a rager there in your house. Think about your reaction. Heads are going to roll, right? They should if you're paying them. There's not going to be bonuses handed out. <laughs> but if you come back and everything's in order, the investments that were given to them, the things to do, the seeds are planted, there's order in the home, so on and so forth, and you have the means and you're a a godly boss or whatever, you have the means to bless them. God will bless you as you bless them. So certainly you're going to do that over and above. And so he says here, listen, the wise and the faithful servant, they're, they're going to be about the business of the master when he returns. They're going to be faithful with the master's household or the master's goods. And there's a huge point here, and that is everything in our hand along with our time and our talents, both spiritually and physically, ultimately, they don't belong to us. They belong to the Lord. 
Do you know that tonight? It all belongs to the Lord. That chair you're sitting in belongs to the Lord. The shirt on our back belongs to the Lord. This easy up belongs to the Lord. This composite decking belongs to the Lord. My watch belongs to the Lord. It all belongs to the Lord. Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord. First Chronicles 29, I'll just skip to halfway through verse 14. For all things come from you, and you own, uh, uh, and of you, uh, of, of your own, we have given you. So even what we give back to the Lord, I tied to the Lord, I gave to the Lord. That's the Lord's money in the first place. It's like a child who's five years old and you give him money to go buy everyone Christmas presents. Daddy, I bought you a tie. Well, actually, I bought that tie, but I'm glad you just go spend it on weevils or something, you know. We'll go old school. They're hot wheels. And you're blessed by that. But is that, that's my money, but really, that's even the Lord's money. It all belongs to Him. And so what are we doing with it? Our time and our talents. Now, listen, a lot of that, again, it's provision to provide for our families and you know what, to use what we have for His glory, the Lord knows that. But are we honoring God in those things? Is our household built on the rock? Are we about His business with our time? Or it's like, listen, I don't got time for the Lord later on. I'll get to that later on. You know what happens when you keep doing that? Eventually you run out of later on. You run out of time. It all belongs to Him. And so again, the wise servant is going to be found about the master's business. Number one, he's going to give an account. And in the next chapter, the Lord goes into the parable of the talents, of the two and the five and the one talent, and we see what happens with the servant who buries his talents. And then on top of that, listen, he says, I'm going to give you charge of more. And I quote there out of Matthew 5, or or 25, and, and I want to finish out the chapter so I won't read it, but he talks to the one that invested his five talents and got five more. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter the joy of the Lord. We ain't just going to be sitting around playing harps in eternity. I bet that might be nice to do for a while, right? <laughs> Obviously, the Lord has big plans for us for all eternity. He is a creator. He says, I'm going to give you charge over more. Probably part of that's the millennial reign of Christ and us ruling and reigning him in that time, but it seems to go beyond that. And this is interesting, and we'll get into this, Lord willing, in a few weeks. The, the servant with one talent that doesn't invest it, you know what the Lord does? He takes it and he gives it to the guy with five who already has ten. I don't think the Lord is into socialism. He doesn't redistribute the wealth. He says, you earned it. This guy didn't. I'm actually going to take his and give it to you. In fact, the Bible says if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. That is, if you have the ability to and the means to. And then I have a verse here, a revelation about the, the elders with their crowns and that scene of glory. And what do they do with them? They take it and they put it at the Lord's feet. And boy, what a blessing to be able to go to glory through the shed blood of the Lamb and, and have a crown, even if it's a little one here on the sides of her head, that we can take and we can put it at the feet of the Lord. And how sad to be there and you're saved, but you don't have a crown to put before the Lord. Because this, I don't believe, and it, would, it, it wouldn't even make sense that 
you know, I got more rewards, so I strut around. I'm a ten-talent guy, you know. It, it ain't going to be like that. There ain't going to be jealousy and envy and selfish ambition. But it seems the sorrow, and, and we'll close here in a second, where he talks about this. In my opinion, I'm wondering and thinking that perhaps it's because I don't have a crown that I can put at his feet and worship him. I can worship him and we'll be worshiping him. But the sorrow or the regret that I don't have a crown. Just a thought. There's a lot of mystery in some of this stuff. Verse 47, he says, Surely I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. 2 Timothy 2.11, this is a faithful saying, if we died with him, we shall live with him. If we endure, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he'll deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So there's going to be a ruling and reigning with the Lord for eternity. And this is where, listen, we don't want to waste our time here. You could almost say, and again, we're saved by the shed blood of the Lamb, but you could also almost say that this is our tryout for eternity. God's watching. We're trying out right now. It's evaluation time. The Lord's watching. What are you doing with the time? What are you doing with the talents? What are you doing with what I put in your hand? An evaluation and how sad when we don't recognize that and instead, we get selfish with our time and short-sighted and so forth. And instead of recognizing we've been redeemed by the shed blood of the Lamb, and we want to be about His business, living our time here on earth with a fear of God, instead we just go about the aimless conduct of those that don't know the Lord. And again, there's practical things we got to do in life, but Jesus wants to be first and should be first in all of them. Listen, as a business owner, you got an incredible opportunity to bless people and minister to people and pray for people and point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're an athlete, you got an incredible opportunity to do that. You're into making quilts or whatever, and you meet with people, you got an incredible opportunity. 1 Peter 1.17, and if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. Notice, from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, without spot. Verse 48, he says, But the evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards. Listen, it's an evil thing for a Christian to say, my Lord delays his coming. It's carnal. I won't read it, but it's comparable to 2 Peter 3, 1 through 9, where it talks about in the last days there will be people who scoff the coming of the Lord for his church and the day of the Lord. And they say, it's like things have always been. Where's the promise of his coming? And they forget that he flooded the earth before with the flood. And sadly, the doctrine of the rapture of the church is actually under great assault in Christendom today. Many people mock it. 
They come at it. They make fun of it. They make fun of the pastors and the individuals that open the scriptures and stand in it and so forth. It's almost as as in a way they are beating their fellow servants saying he delays his coming. Now we talked about this, about the rapture of the church. I lean heavily pre-trib rapture. and We've talked about the reasons for that and the fact that the tribulation is predominantly about the nation of Israel. And some of the scriptures we even looked at tonight. But if you're here tonight and you're like, well, I'm, I lean towards a mid-tribulation rapture or a pre-wrath rapture or a post-trib rapture, that's just insanity to me. But there are some people that lean that. You can do that, but listen, if you're in the place that you're saying, I believe that's absolutely going to happen and that's how it's going to unfold, how can you be watching for Jesus to come today? Because some people, man, they'll die on these hills here. And if you're a thing where you're like, listen, I'm a mid-trib rapture all the way and I make fun of people that say I, I'm, I'm leaning towards a pre-trib rapture, the Bible says the evil servant says my master delays his coming. You're not looking for the Christ, you're looking for the Antichrist. And we should all be able to fellowship and get along no matter what view you have of that. But if you can't at least concede the fact that the Lord can come today if he so chooses, because he said to watch and be ready and to always be looking, and you're like, no, Lord, you got to do it my way, that's problematic, and you need to get that right with the Lord. Because we're seeing here the product that comes out of saying, my master delays his coming, is not the fruits of the Holy Spirit, but more so works of the flesh. My master delays his coming and he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards. Well, who are the ones eating and drinking at the days of Noah? Not the ones on the ark. Now, that's not to say that you're saved by Jesus plus not eating or drinking. (laughs) We're saved by him and him alone. But it's a picture of believers not watching, not being about the business of the Lord, but instead walking in the ways of the world. And there's just something that happens, it should happen in the heart and soul of a Christian that really believes Jesus can come today. The Lord's had every generation looking and has told them all to watch because that affects the way you live here knowing I can go, the Lord can come for the church right now. And here's a great truth too. He might not come with the bus today, but he might come with the taxi. Do any of us know our last day? We don't. So these things should be stirring the way we live our lives. And you got a theological problem if it's like, I'm mid-trib rapture and I'll die on that hill. And I'm looking for the Antichrist and then the unfolding of these things and the abomination. Then we'll go. The Lord says, you need to watch right now. You need to watch today. And then what you do from there, you got to reconcile that before the Lord. And listen, maybe you're right about the other, but I want to be looking every single day no matter when the Lord comes because that's what he's instructed us to do. Because notice what he says, and we'll close on this, and we might have a few minutes for a couple questions. It says in verse 50, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he's not aware of. Again, that's reflective of those that are not of the light. And then this is crazier, this is the, 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 not crazy, but listen what it says here. 
And he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now listen, obviously, that's still the servant and still a master. It's clear there's a relationship there. But notice he's appointed his portion with the hypocrites. Who's the hypocrite in the parable of the talent? The one that buried his talent. He obviously lived life not as a servant of the Lord, even though he was called to be a servant of the Lord. And it seems to be a clear picture of not receiving that crown, not receiving a reward, and as a result, there being a weeping and a gnashing of the teeth of regret. Now I know in glory, God says he's going to wipe every tear away from our eyes. And I know scripture doesn't contradict itself ever. But I also know there's certain things in scripture that are a mystery. That we're just not going to fully understand until we go to be with the Lord. And here's the deal. All of us should have a desire that if we were to stand before the Lord today, we would hear him say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Instead of him saying, you're a foolish and wicked servant. As talked about there in Matthew 25, where again he says about that individual that buried his talent in Matthew 25, 30, and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, a portion with the hypocrites. I don't believe this is talking about unbelievers here. The context here is he's the master, we're his servants. There's a relationship there. And a servant that wasn't about his master's business. Again, you got home and there's a rager going on and nothing that's supposed to be done is done. How are you going to respond, boss? You're going to be too happy with that, are you? And those are, you know, concerning natural things that are going to perish. How much more on these spiritual things, again, that we're a part of, not because gold and silver, but because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll stop there tonight. We got a couple minutes. I don't know if anyone has any questions tonight. If you do, I'll do my best to try to give you a biblical answer, or if it's something that's more of an opinion, I'll, I'll try to preface an answer with that. Yeah. Okay, yeah, the, the question is what do I think about the peace deals that have been signed with Israel and some of the nations and, and more of those seem to be unfolding. Um, I think I talked to this, about that a few weeks ago that it's interesting that uh, it says about the Antichrist at that covenant at the beginning of the tribulation, it says that he'll confirm the covenant. And there's a school of thought that believes and it's, kind of, it's a new school of thought because a lot of these covenants are being signed right now that perhaps when the Antichrist comes, some of those covenants are going to be in place or those treaties with Israel and some of the nations around them. And he's going to confirm those. These are valid plus more you know, peace treaties where maybe it's sealed up with all those nations around Israel. Because uh, it does say he'll confirm the covenant which... Could either be he's going to confirm a new covenant 
or it could be I'm going to confirm the covenants in place or reinforce them. Because sometimes there's covenants that they're in paper only. They're actually not being walked in. So that's my thought on that. Um, You know, I might be wrong on that, but I think that's, you know, I've heard some kind of end times teachers. I heard Jimmy DeYoung bring that out, and I thought that's an excellent point. And I think he absolutely might be spot on in that. But, but, you know, we'll see. And we might see from heaven one day. So, (laughs) hopefully that that helps a little bit. Anything else? I'm going to drink a water right now. I'll give you time, a second to ponder here. Always what happens is afterwards, I didn't want to ask a question, but I got a question. Yeah, the question was um, in our own county here the the wine industry and um the 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 effects on it on on our uh you know at our culture and it moving people towards alcohol and um you know the bible does address uh wine and alcohol the bible says uh, do not be drunk with wine but be filled with the spirit um when someone moves from drinking wine to be drunken wine, with wine, that's probably a line that's different for everybody because obviously there's wine drinking in the scriptures. Uh, one of the prophecies concerning Israel in the last days is that she would be a producer of wine. And so we want to look at that biblically and not fall into legalism. There's obviously a freedom to drink wine or alcohol to the point where you move into drunkenness. And I do believe that there's a lot of folks that, you know, will have a glass of wine for dinner, which, again, you got a freedom in the Lord. All things are lawful in the Lord. They're just not all profitable. But what ends up happening is that one glass starts moving into two or three and so forth. And the next thing you know, because a lot of this stuff is potent, there are people that get snared by it and become, I don't like the word alcoholic. I don't see it in the Bible. The Bible calls it a drunkard. And, um... It, it's, a, it's a dangerous thing that anyone can fall in. So we, what we want to be striving to do, first and foremost, is to be filled with the Spirit. And if we're filled with the Spirit, then we can use our freedoms, I believe, in a lot uh, more godly manner and, and way, 100%. I think as far as the industry itself, I think there's been a lot of blessings that have come out of that in North County. But unfortunately... Um, it's easy for people to move from thanking God for blessings to worshiping blessings and leaving God out of the equation. And we don't want to do that in anything. And as far as Mexicans and tequila and wine, I don't know anything about that, but, <laughs> but I know a lot of Mexicans. I love a lot of, of, of 
my best friends have always been Mexicans. Everyone thinks I'm a Mexican. I'm a Middle Eastern who was raised with pit bulls and low riders and it's it's Las Vegas Raiders now and so forth. And so uh, I know this. Listen, the enemy is always trying to stumble anybody and everybody. And uh, you know what? That's why as we're one in Christ, we want to stand and encourage encourage one another. So hopefully that's a, a helpful answer. And I think there's a lot of application to a lot of things in that. And uh, I myself, I don't I don't drink alcohol. I never do. I have a freedom to in Christ, but I don't because I don't want to stumble anybody. I don't want someone to see Pastor Steve with a six pack of Coors Light, you know, at at the grocery store, which I would have a freedom to drink. Again, be don't be drunk with wine, and I don't want to run into a brother there who's who's sobered up, and that's their great stumbling point. It never was for me when I was in the world. I drink a lot, but it was, I could stop whenever. I don't want him to go, I'm going to get a six-pack too because we got freedom in the Lord. And then he goes and gets three more, and next thing you know, he's, he's struggling with alcohol again. And uh, I've had people accuse me over there, oh, you're legalistic in that. And it's like, no. I want to look out for my brothers and sisters because probably a third of our culture struggles with alcohol. And I grieve, my heart grieves when I see pastors all over social media with their wine and everything. Yeah, you got a freedom to do it, but how many people in your congregation struggle with wine? I guarantee it's probably at least a quarter of them, if not maybe half of them with things going on today. So we need to take that to heart. I mean, Paul said, I'll never eat meat again if it causes my brother to stumble. I don't know if I can go that far. <laughs> Praise God, we're not in the place where the conscience are. Well, I used to eat meat. It was offered to idols. You know, I love a good double-double and whatnot. But yeah, triple-triple even. But that, that's where we got to be mature in these things. And we can't be legalistic in those things. We got freedom in the Lord. But we also want to consider our brothers. We want to consider where they are. Uh, we got to know that there's areas of conviction and someone not, may not share my conviction and they got a freedom in the Lord and, and that we can commune and walk here. There might be some people here that drink wine. And listen, I'm not going to judge you in that. You got a freedom to do that. I just encourage you in all things, let's consider our brothers and sisters and so forth. And, you know, just because you do that in privately under the Lord, you might want to consider, you know what, how you're publicly broadcasting that. Because you're maybe thinking of the other people that it doesn't have an effect and so forth. But, you know, I come and sit in my office for a month and some of the counseling that goes on, you might think twice about that. Uh, because it's a real vice for a lot of folks and there's a lot of areas like that. So what we want to strive to do as a church is to be mature in it and to walk in love and to walk in freedom. Uh, I hate legalism. It's horrendous. Legalism will destroy a church. It makes people nasty. It makes them pious and, and uh, you know, it's self-righteous. Uh, we don't want to walk in legalism, but we want to walk in love. And there's a lot of things we have freedom to do that we need to refrain from for the sake of others. And so uh, hopefully we can all grow in that. I know I have a long way to go, but I know that he will begin a good work. We'll be faithful to complete it. And the same is true with all of us here in the Lord Jesus. So Heavenly Father, we praise you tonight. We give you glory and honor. We give you praise. We just thank you for your great goodness to us. I just thank you, Lord, for every soul out here tonight.
folks watching online, Lord, folks that will watch this down the road, um, it's just good to open the word and, and to get to know you more. And listen, as we close here tonight, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? He absolutely is coming back like a thief in the night. And uh, he wants to save you tonight. He wants to be your Lord and Savior. He shed his blood to make the only way for us to be forgiven of our sin and have a right relationship with the living God. There is no other way than through Jesus. And what's required of us, yes, it's a free gift, but it's a free gift that costs us our life. But in laying down our life, we find life. When we come to the Lord, we're asking Him to be the Lord of our life. And listen, there's freedom found in that. There's forgiveness found in that. There's a great future and hope found in that. And if you haven't called on the Lord, today's the day of salvation. And I can't encourage you enough, implore you enough to humble your heart and ask Him to be your Lord and Savior tonight. And Jesus will 100% meet you where you are. So Lord, any in that place tonight, meet them where they're at. Lord, we pray, God, any unbelievers that have heard this word tonight, that the seeds that have been planted of your word, of the gospel, won't be snatched away, but they'll get watered and, Lord, would bring forth life sooner than later. Again, bless all these folks. Thank you for our time out here. Thank you for the promises we have in you. And we thank you, Lord, that in all these things you've told us not to be troubled. We have no reason to be troubled. We have all the reasons to rejoice. We're the most secure people in the world because we're in the hands of our Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, we pray for endurance, strength from upon high. Pray we can abound in the joy of the Lord. And, Lord, just rebuke the wicked one that wants to try to steal those things from us. Uh, Shower your people, God, with blessings and uh, with strength tonight and, again, uh, with your face shining on us. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. And we said together, Amen. Amen. God bless you.